Well, it's great to be with you. It's a real joy. I worked out that it's probably been about two and a half years since we've been physically in this building. I think we, went, we came to Dick's um, party, but this last time I was in this place, it was a bit grubbier, and it's been totally refurbed, and um, yeah, it's wonderful. So many of you, many of you do know who we are. Some of you don't. It's a joy to see so many new faces here this morning. Um, as Tom said, for the last um, few years now, the last 16 years, we have uh, led, we planted a church in Northampton called Central Vineyard, uh, which we did in 2006. Uh, we did that with um, just five other adults and three preschoolers. Um, those preschoolers are all pretty much adults now, which makes me feel a little bit old. Um, um, but yeah, so we planted this church uh, 16 years ago. Uh, and about five years ago, uh, we just began a journey towards, I guess, what we would call multiplication, uh, which uh, initially resulted in us planting another service in Northampton. So we planted uh, a second service. And then eventually, we planted two other locations, one in Wellingborough uh, and then another one in Ketrin. Uh, and then towards, 20, towards the end of 2019, uh, we we began to develop a relationship with what was Rawns Community Church. And then obviously, in that October, Rawns Community Church became the fourth uh, location of uh, Central Vineyard. And back then, uh, we defined ourselves as one church in multiple locations. That was kind of the language uh, that we used. And then, of course, just a few months into that journey, um, uh, you know, 2020 arrived, and, and, and so did COVID. Um, who saw that coming? Um, but, um, and so everything that we'd been building kind of up to that point um, started to kind of feel like it was falling apart. You know, we were all scattered to our homes, and um, we tried our very best, didn't we, to kind of stay connected in our various uh, communities. Um, but as we came out of lockdown and as we came out of COVID, we began to kind of think, is there a better way that we can do this? And so as, as Tom mentioned, you know, we've been on a, a year-long journey of transition. That as, um, as we came out of the COVID season and as we began to reimagine what church might look like, the other side of a pandemic... Uh, we sensed that there was an opportunity for us to kind of structure ourselves a little bit differently. And essentially what we've done over this last year, we've, we've said to each location that actually we want to we put power back in each location. Um, we don't feel it's right that a bunch of people in an office in Northampton get to make all the decisions for what happens in different places. And so uh, we really sense the Lord leading us to kind of ironically decentralize Central Vineyard. And, um, and so back in April last year, our Kettering site, uh, led by David and Elaine Roberts, they, they became the Kettering Vineyard, as many of you will know. And then last autumn, can you believe, it's not even been a year, but last autumn, uh, Tom and Ash um, um, accepted our invitation to become the pastors here. And, and as a result, really, a whole bunch of people from the Wellingborough site and then you guys here came together to form a brand new community that we now call 
uh, Nen Valley Vineyard. It's not Neen, it's Nen Valley Vineyard. And, um, and, and so we're really, really thrilled. And so in, in the midst of that, um, you know, um, the Lord has, has been speaking to us personally, Tammy and I, and um, began to speak to us about where might the next location be in this growing family of churches uh, that we are. Uh, and so as many of you know, three weeks ago, uh, we were fired. No, we were commissioned. Um, we were commissioned to plant the Garden City Vineyard in Milton Keynes. And so um, we are spending the summer getting ready for that. Uh, we're hopefully going to be moving house in a month's time. So some of you will know we had no prospect of buying a property and the Lord in the 11th hours has provided um, a significant sum of money for us to buy a house. And so we're really thrilled, really excited uh, for what the Lord's doing. So as well as planting a vineyard church, as Tom said, uh, we also carry some Different, uh, different bits of responsibility. Uh, for the wider Vineyard family, Tammy and I uh, serve as regional leaders. So that means we've got some responsibility for the Vineyard churches from the north of England, the Midlands, and the east. Um, so about 40 or so Vineyard churches that we have some uh, responsibility for uh, nationally. And then secondly, we give oversight to this expression of our multi-site that's become the CV, the CV family. And I guess CV family is a, a way to say shorthand. It, it, it's a way of expressing our commitment and goal to continue to work together as four unique vineyard churches. Four unique churches that's been birthed out of a legacy and DNA of a central vineyard. And so we're now four churches gathered across Northamptonshire, but also Milton Keynes. And so we're really excited, really thrilled about what the Lord is doing in our midst. You know, our goal as a family is to share as much as we possibly can, uh, believing that we are better together than we are alone, uh, that we're better to, uh, to, to, to serve one another, share with one another, give to one another as we move forward. Um, the CV family, Tammy and I, are employed by the CV family for about a day and a half a week, which we're really grateful for. Uh, but the person who works behind the scenes and really is the brains of the operation is Esther. She, she essentially works uh, for CV family, keeping us legal, making sure we don't you know, spend too much money, all of those sorts of things. So she deserves a big round of applause uh, because... As I say, she might be the brains behind the operation. Um, so, so in terms of CV family, then that they're the people who represent the kind of central organization. And then obviously we have the pastors and leaders in the different locations. Moving forward, uh, Central Vineyard and Nen Valley Vineyard continue to share the same legal, identi legal identity, um, but each, each of the churches has their own budgets. And I think Tom's going to do... Uh, some more about that in the autumn. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, finances in the life of the church. Uh, and then uh, whilst, um, whilst we also operate under this CV family banner, there's a couple of things that are coming up. There's a couple of things like 
Obviously, in our kids' ministry, we share some resources with God's Big Story. Um, But we're also going to be launching um, a new leadership training initiative in the autumn called Vineyard Leadership Essentials. And really, the, the door to that is wide open. So if you think... I'm not sure if I'm a leader, um, but maybe I could investigate that. We would love to just open the door wide. It's going to be online. Uh, There's some video content and then an opportunity uh, to talk with and connect with leaders and potential leaders from across our four different churches uh, as we do some leadership training. Now, not everything uh, that we would like to see happen as the CV family is fully in place yet, but we are thrilled about the journey that we've been on, and we're thrilled about what the Lord has done. I was was chatting with Paul um, in the break, and it's just amazing that, you know, when you let go of something and allow God to do what he wants to do, there's fruitfulness, isn't there? This room is just just one expression of that sense of fruitfulness, of what the Lord Uh, is doing in our midst. And we're super proud of Tom and Ash and super proud of all the work they've been doing over these last nine, ten months. Um, Just a wonderful job. Wonderful job. Great job. And the truth is, in the last two and a half years, it's been a season, isn't it, of significant change and adjustment for all of us. Obviously, some of those things that I've just talked about and and mentioned. But even bigger than that, obviously, there's been a global pandemic. Uh, As I say, none of us saw that come in. Uh, There's a huge issue with the cost of living crisis. And then there's the uncertainty and the unrest of, you know, um, of of war um, happening again in Europe. And it's in moments like this that we're kind of faced with choices. We can choose to live in fear or we can lean um, and operate in faith. We can, li- we can choose fear or we can operate in faith. You see, seasons like this is that, it's that fear is the thing that sees crisis. Yeah, we, we look at what's going on around us. Everything feels unstable. It doesn't feel safe. Things that are relied on in the past, they're just... It's not there anymore. It feels like things are crumbling around us. And I can look at those things and see the crisis of the moment. Or I can look with eyes of faith and see opportunity. What opportunities are ahead of us? What opportunities are, is God creating? And so in the time that I've got this morning, I just want to explore what it means to operate in, in this kind of journey of faith. What does it mean to journey in faith. It's often said, and it's a bit of a cliche, uh, but in places like this, we encourage people, don't we, to have faith. Have faith. But what does it actually mean to have faith? You know, as Tammy and I, um, you know, particularly as we look back over this last year, as we've faced lots of change and transition, um, as we've laid things down, we've suddenly gained a new perspective on what it means to have faith. We're also really aware of how little faith at times we actually have. And that's after, you know, I've been following Jesus as best I can for for a quarter of a century. And I still feel like 
I don't know what it means to have faith. <laughs> what does it really mean to have faith, to grow in faith? And so although I can't do this complete justice this morning, um, I just want to look at the biblical character of Abraham and perhaps get a glimpse of what it means for us to have faith. As we look at Abraham's life, the first thing we see is that he models faith. He models faith to us. You know, one of the vantage points that we have being people who live and breathe in the 21st century is that we've had a whole bunch of people who have gone before us who we can learn from. And there's no greater place that we can go to uh, to learn lessons from the lives of others than the scriptures. You see, if nothing else, the Bible is a book about God, yes, but it's also a book about people, isn't it? It's a book about people, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but people do people stuff. People do people stuff. And if you've read your Bible at any depth, at any time, you will know uh, that some people do some pretty messed up things in the Bible. Um, and, and, and you look at the lives of some people, and you think, there's a lesson there for me to learn. I can learn a thing or two from the life of this person. And so, yes, we can learn principles and, and some lessons in kind of abstract ways. We can do that. But the truth is, it's far more helpful to see principles, lessons fleshed out and embodied in the life of people. We all need role models, don't we? We all need people we can look up to. Maybe take a moment now and think of one or two people in your life that you admire people that you look up to. Maybe it was, um, I don't know, a teacher at school. Some of you, that's a long time ago. Um, but maybe it was a teacher at school. Maybe it's like some sort of political world leader. Oh, maybe not. Um, maybe uh, it was a parent. Maybe it was a pastor or a friend, someone that you admired, that you looked up to, and thought, wow, they, they model something. They embody something that's worth imitating. Now, of course, not every role model is positive. We can have negative role models as well. And negative role models can have an equal amount of impact on us. Maybe when you work for a boss where bad behavior is rewarded, with promotion or respect, where lying to customers, where cutting corners, cheating in some way is seen as normal. When those kinds of things are modeled to us, we quickly learn what's required to be successful is bad behavior. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that most life lessons are not taught, but they're caught. Yeah, they're not, they're not just taught by us learning things in, in sort of, you know, easy steps. But actually, we, our behavior, the way in which we do things are caught. We reproduce what we are. And so as we look at the life of Abraham, who, by the way, is revered by most religions as the father of faith, we find some lessons to be learned. And, and, and the first is that he models something to us. He models what it means to follow. The Apostle Paul 
writes this in Galatians 3. He says, he says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He goes on to say in Romans 4, 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it, so that it may be by grace and it may be uh, guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the Lord, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And the thing is um, that, that we see in the life of Abraham that faith is the way of life for God's people. Faith is the way we're meant to do this. Faith is a, a lifelong journey, one foot in front of the other, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Faith isn't just something that is required for salvation. Yes, it's the thing that activates when we surrender our lives to Jesus, isn't it? We have faith. We, we surrender ourselves to him. But it's more than that. Faith is a lifelong task. We might conf- compare faith to, to marriage. You know, you don't know everything you need to know about a successful marriage on your wedding day. Your wedding day is just the beginning. Succeeding in marriage through all its ups and downs, through all its crises, through child raising, through moving home, is a lifelong task. Or you could say faith is like parenting. You know, just having a baby doesn't make you an expert parent. You can take parenting courses and you can try and figure out how to do things. But when your child, who's two, has a stronger will than you, you realize you know nothing. See, faith begins our relationship with Jesus, but that's just the introduction. It's something that starts with a simple decision, which is, Lord, I surrender to you. But as as many of us have learned, our childhood faith is not necessarily sufficient for adult-sized problems. And so faith becomes this lifelong journey that we have to grow in. It's not static. Faith needs to carry us from child-raising, we're in this season, child-raising to (laughs) child-releasing. Faith needs to carry us from career to cancer, from practicing hospitality to entering a hospice, to a wedding to widowhood. Every single stage of life, every challenge of life, every part of life is either going to be a step forward in faith or a step backwards in unbelief. And so Abraham models faith. The second thing we see is that Abraham's faith starts with a sense of calling. In Acts 7, you can turn there if you want, Acts 7 and verse 2. It says, to this he replied, brothers and fathers, and it could equally say um, sisters and mothers, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham whilst he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land 
I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Aren. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you now live. See, Abraham grew up in a civilization that worshipped lots of different gods, a civilization that didn't recognize or worship the one true God, the creator of all things, in an environment, and it's in that environment of idolatry that God speaks, and he issues this call to this man, Abraham. We read the same call in Genesis 12. It says, God says, go from this country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. We see here at the beginning of his journey of faith, God issues a calling. He issues a calling. Now, it starts with a call to himself. That's, how, that's where God always starts, doesn't he? He starts with us. When God calls us, he calls us to himself. He says, come to me, trust me, believe in me, look to me, turn your heart to me. And as it was with Aaron, so too is it with us. First and foremost, we're called to relationship. We're called to relationship with God. And it's from that place that then God calls us into what he has for us. And it might be to a particular place. It might be to do a particular task. It might be to a particular profession. Whatever it is that God might be calling you to, it comes from that place of relationship. In Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. We... Um, We've been recently just sharing with our neighbours who we've been around for the last 11 years that we're moving to Milton Keynes. And obviously some of them are like, do you have to go? Which I thought was, that was nice, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> neighbours that don't want you to go. Um, but I, I've been kind of thinking, can you imagine the kind of conversation Abraham might have had with his neighbours? You know, they, they see him packing up his house and, and it's like, Abraham, where are you going? And he's like, well, we're moving. And like, well, really, where, where are you moving to? I don't know. Uh, God, God's told us we're going to move. Well, which God? Well, the God of the universe, the creator of, creator of all things. But you don't know where you're going. No, I don't know where I'm going. So, so God's told you to move, but you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going to end up. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, what, what are you going to do when you get to this mysterious place? I'm not sure. Why would anyone set out from what is comfortable, what is familiar, to enter into what could potentially be uncomfortable and unknown? The only reason that I can surmise is because they've really heard God call. They've really heard God say. John Wimber, the founding father of the vineyard, he always used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And it wasn't because he couldn't spell. But faith is spelt risk. You know, as Tammy and I have stepped out in faith in this season, in so many ways, it makes no sense. You know, if being a pastor was a career move, we are committing career suicide. You know, look at what we've got, all this power. Um, why, would we, why would we lay this all down? Why would we risk it all again 
to put ourselves through the pain of church planting. We've done that twice already. Why would we do it again? Why in our mid-40s, you know, we've got five, six more years with kids in our house. Why? Why? They're looking at me. We're going. Um, uh, Why? Why? Why would we do it? And the only reason that we can give, the only thing we can come back to is, is because the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. One of our mentors often says that old orders are good orders until you get new ones. And when you get new orders, it's yes, sir. Yes, sir. You see, as long as a bird stays in its nest, it will never know the wonder of flight. As long as a a child clings to the edge of a swimming pool, that child will never know the wonder of what it is to swim and have water carry their bodies. As long as we hold on to what's familiar and safe and comfortable, we'll never know what God will do if we were just to simply say yes to him. Say yes, yes, Lord. So Abraham was told to leave his home and his family and to venture out. Yeah, it says, um, you know, he was willing to say yes, to step out in faith. But saying yes, stepping out in faith, isn't always comfortable. And in fact, the antithesis to our, our willingness to step out in obedience is a desire to be comfortable. It's that desire, I, I don't want to feel discomfort. But Abraham's faith led to discomfort. As we read in Acts 7, we see Abraham settled in Iran, uh, which we don't know why he didn't continue his journey to the promised land. Maybe his father was tired. Uh, maybe Haran was an attractive place to be. In any case, he was there for 15 years. He waited. And for 15 years, we hear nothing from the Lord. How many times have we responded to the call of God, and then stopped because we've got to this attractive alternative. Somewhere along the way, uh, we've made a comfortable compromise where maybe I'll just settle here instead of going, uh, going where God has called me to be. I'm just going to wait here for 15 years and just, you know, this will be nice. This will be safe. It also says that Abraham took his father terror. And instead of fully obeying what God said, you know, God said, leave your home and leave your father's household. But for some reason, he took him with him. It would seem that he compromised his call. And the reason why we can often compromise our call is because we take terror with us. We take the father with us. We take, we take the father we're called to leave behind with us. So the question might be, it's all right. The question might be, who is your terror? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a family member that you can't let go of. Maybe it's the sentiment of the past that keeps you from entering into the promised land. 
Maybe your terror is a, the security um, of a comfortable job, a beautiful home, a community. And despite the fact that you feel God has called you, you can't let go. It was only after the death of his father that Abraham moved on to the promised land. Terah needed to die. Whatever is holding us back this morning may need to die. The things that hold us back from entering into what God is doing may need to die in order to respond to God's call. So we see Abraham's journey of faith. He's marked by a sense of calling. He's called by God. And that call requires him to not compromise on what God has said, to to embrace discomfort. And and instead of having a tight grip, he has to have, have a loose grip and live a life in a tent. In Hebrews 11, again, it says, By faith, Abraham was called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance. Uh, and he obeyed and went, and, went and, and he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac, Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. You see, when Abraham finally left after his father's death, he was 75 years old. Uh, and when Abraham died, he was 175. And he spent, that means he spent 100 years living in a tent, no permanent home. And I think what we see in the tent is something that is essential to growing in faith in our lives. You see, faith requires a certain detachment from everything in this world, everything that this world has to offer, where we're learning to live open-handedly with a loose grip of everything in this life. As a, as a family, we, we've done lots of camping over the years. And um, having done lots of camping as a family, it didn't take long for us to figure out that camping sucks. <laughs> um, and, and what we discovered is that glamping is much better. Can I hear a amen? Amen. Glamping, glamping is much better. And so camping or glamping for us means electricity. Okay. It means a tent you can stand up in. Okay. Uh, it means that you sleep on something that resembles a bed. Okay, you don't have to blow it up every morning uh, or anything like that. And, and, and really something that's as close to a home away from home as possible. That's camping, camping for me. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we can respond to the call like this. Yes, I want to go camping. Yes, I want to go on an adventure with Jesus, but I want to do it on my terms. I want to I do it with the least amount of uncomfort, the, the least amount of discomfort. I don't, I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to rough it. I want my Nespresso coffee every morning. 
But God's kingdom cannot be extended without someone losing their grip on this world. For God's kingdom to be extended, some people are going to have to say, I will give up something. I will pay the price for this. Some people are going to have to say, I will give up some social standing with my neighbors, my co-workers, my family. Some people are going to have to say, I'm willing to undergo some level of personal embarrassment to extend this message. Some people are going to have to say, I'm willing, up, willing to uh, give up comfort of my home, my extended family, my country. I'm, I'm going to have to willing to be given up those things so I can go across the other side of the world and bring the gospel message to those who have never heard it. You see, the kingdom cannot be extended without a willingness on our part to embrace some level, uh, some level of discomfort, some level of suffering for its sake. And this is what Jesus said in, in John John 12, 24, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, but those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus tells us that if the kingdom is going to be extended, someone will have to pay a price. Someone will have to pay a price. So here's some questions for you. If God was, speaking, was to speak to you this morning, if God was to place a call on your life this morning, are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to risk it all and potentially look ridiculous to those around you? Are you willing to risk it with potentially not being accepted by a few people's opinions that matter to you? Are you willing to be a grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies? Are you willing to choose the tent as your approach to life in this world? So we've talked about faith being rooted in calling. Faith brings with it an embracing need for discomfort. Faith requires us to have a loose grip, to live like people in tents. But finally, Abraham's faith required an altar. In Genesis 12, it tells us that Abraham pitched his tent and he also built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. How do we venture out with God? How do we decide that, yes, I'm going to obey God's call? I'm going to choose the tent instead of comfort. How do we do that? Well, for Abraham, it started with him building an altar. You see, the business of faith is not a case of reading a book and following 10 helpful steps. It's not a matter of learning a few principles and memorizing them and figuring out how you do them. 
the way that faith grows in our lives is by building an altar, having a place where we meet with God. You say, see, faith springs from us having built our relationship with him. Faith is an overflow of our hidden life, our secret life with God. If we're ever going to loosen our grip of this world, we need something compelling, something more attractive. We need an altar, a place where we meet with God, where we connect with him. Learning to trust in Jesus comes by spending time with him. The goal isn't to just know stuff about Jesus. That isn't the the Christian life, knowing stuff about Jesus. Our goal is to be with Jesus, to experience him, to spend time with him, to talk to him, and to listen to what he has to say. How many of us find ourselves in those environments? Some of us might be here this morning thinking, you know what? I don't think God's ever called me to anything. And you've never sat still long enough for him to give you that call. An altar is anywhere where we make space to meet with Jesus. Maybe it's a particular place in your home. Maybe it's a particular couch or a chair in your dining room. Maybe it's in your bedroom or your lounge or in the corner of your office that there's this place where you say, that's where I meet with God. You see, however we end up expressing... I've run out of time. Um, However (laughs) we end up expressing our faith, it always flows out of our life with him. It always flows out of the life that we have with the Lord.